Come on in, sit back, relax, and listen to episode 131 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. This podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices around wealth management technology. In today's episode, we're trying something new. We're doing a recap of the latest webinar in our Data as an Asset series, which started last year. So we're calling this the start of season two. We launched these webinars because we saw a need for more information about how enterprise wealth management firms can better manage, organize, and analyze their data. That's also why Ezra Group launched our data assessment service to conduct an in-depth review of data sources, downstream consumers, data utilization analysis for enterprise wealth management firms, and deliver a comprehensive strategy and roadmap to get your data architecture under control. For more information on Ezra Group's data assessment service, go to EzraGroupLLC.com. And a couple of quick housekeeping notes before we continue. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Make sure to check out our sponsor, the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation at investinothers.org. And now let's kick this thing off. to our recap from our recent webinar, which is called The Tower of Babel, Consolidating Wealth Management Data from Multiple Sources. And uh, I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz. And uh, on this recap, uh, we've got uh, my partner in crime here, Jeff Marsden, head of product from Exiva Financial. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Craig. Glad we're doing this. I'm glad we're doing this. This is fun. This is like football, right? After the football game, the, 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 uh, the announcers do a, a, a recap of the game, talk about things they liked and didn't like. We're going to do the same thing on this webinar. And this webinar was a, one of a series. We, we started this last year doing these data-focused webinars about the engines driving wealth management, about client experience, all kinds of interesting stuff. So this was cool talking about consolidating data. And we had a great panel. Uh, it, was, yeah. um, it was Rich Romano from FidEx, Mike Stern from Riskalyze, and Todd Winship from Temenos. So all these guys really know their stuff. It was hard to get a word in edgewise. Yeah, it was a great start to our second season. Exactly. Season two. We'll, yeah. we'll, drop, we'll drop all the seasons so you can, you can binge watch our, our, our webinar. Exactly. I like the football reference. I feel like I need a telestrator, though, and a little bit and, and, and take the camera out to the t- t- tailgating and decide who's got the best, uh, best snacks. <laughs> we're we're going to do that in post-production. We're going to add that on top of you. So just move your yeah. hand and we'll will show something being written on the screen. Awesome. All right, so before we start, we, we both picked some of the things that we liked, uh, some of the questions and topics that were covered in the webinar. Uh, but before we do, I wanna throw out um, a statistic because I love statistics. A study by IBM found that poor data quality costs the US economy over $3 trillion a year due to lower productivity, outages, higher maintenance costs, only to name a few of the bad outcomes. and. Consolidating data from multiple sources, one of the biggest issues is cleaning your data, getting clean, getting it accurate, uh, reconning. And that's something we're, we, we talk about constantly, work with our clients constantly. I know you guys at Extiva work with your clients constantly on cleaning their data. It's pretty important for, it's pretty important for us and our clients because we're making compensation and performance management decisions, you know, with them around their behalf. And, you know, that, 
that, that that's hard to do well with uh, with noisy or dirty data. So let's get through, uh, let's, let's switch to the questions here and talk about some of the, the highlights from this event. So I'm gonna go first. And one of the things we talked about were one of the, um, I forget, I think either Todd or Rich was saying that basically all vendors in our space and probably in many spaces that are similar are both givers and takers of data. They both <laughs> generate data and they, and they consume data. Now the, now the yeah. givers and takers, that's different than the psychological use of those terms where takers are self-focused and givers are others focused as a psychologist would say, but uh, it's more of I'm generating a lot of data that other firms can use or my client's gonna use and I'm pulling data from many sources. You could be dozens of sources that my clients use. Yeah, so true. You know, you think back maybe um, 15 years uh, and I think the data path was much more linear. You know, there was a there was a, there was a, a smaller number of sources or a single source and the data sort of flowed through that sort of natural back end to front end of the experience and, and, and ultimately out to some, you know, out somewhere. And today that's just not the case. It's, it's a much more complicated and interconnected landscape, which puts a lot of pressure on the need to, to figure out how to get the data that's valuable um, and in, in you know and in a complete and, and orderly fashion from one from one place to another and recognize that that isn't a linear flow it's a bit more of a web it's a, it's a web of data movement today because something that you know might be created that's valuable in riskalyze or valuable in extiva might benefit something uh, else in that ecosystem um, that is uh, adjacent to, or even back up the back, uh, sort of up the food chain, or back, you know, back down the food chain. That's true, and we're seeing a lot of a lot more data analytics being used. And uh, mm -hmm. you look at a lot of firms now are hiring uh, or, or assigning uh, senior executives who just handle data and analytics, like Todd Winship over at Terminos. That's his that's his title, yeah. head of data and analytics. And in order to do analytics, you need data. So we're, we're, we're working with a number of firms that are building out uh, analytics tools into their systems that didn't have them before, whether they're wealth, well, just wealth platforms or, or other parts of the, the ecosystem, realizing that they're generating a lot of data that can be analyzed and can be prevent, uh, presented to their clients to help them manage their businesses better, help them, help them optimize their, their processes. Are you, you seeing something similar? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, we we see um, you know roles created at our clients that are related that's related to data, or more um, commonly thinking about how to get more value out of the data beyond simple transactional operational processes, but enriching the customer experience, getting more leverage out of staff in the front office or the middle office, uh, using. Um, uh, using that information to advance and think through the, ex the, the, the product and service roadmap. So they're constantly in a state of having data in a high frequency availability to optimize decisions around how they go to market or how they optimize even things as simple as uh, pricing, uh, you know, pr pricing of products or, um, or other attributes of how a product or service is offered. Yeah, we're also seeing data being generated in other areas, like operational areas, whether it's research or practice management. Uh, they're all generating data that can be analyzed and leveraged uh, and providing value. 
whether you're yeah. uh, you're looking at the business because if you can't measure something, it's hard to manage it well. How it's impossible to optimize it if you can't measure it. So, being able to capture all the data is something that a lot of firms are are building out tools to do that where they didn't have them before, and they're also prioritizing the data for their clients based on expected business value. So don't just show them everything and let the clients try to figure yeah. it out, but help them figure out what data is most important. And one of the things we recommend for some of our larger clients where they've got tens of thousands of advisors or even a hundred thousand advisors on their platform is show us what other people are doing. You know, mm -hmm. do the Google of our space and you can see what other advisors are looking at, what other firms, broker dealers or large RIAs, what they are interacting with, which reports they like the most and yeah. bubble those up to us, which don't make us wade through all this mounds and mounds of data to figure out what we need. Yeah, Crowd, crowdsource what's valuable in, 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 in many respects. You know, um, we, we, we've noted and, and we've enhanced our capabilities, but we've noted a desire for context. Whether you're a senior executive or a financial advisor, when you're given access to a dashboard, or you're directed to uh, you're directed to some analytics or a report that's asking you to make some conclusions. That that there's a there's an evident change in how individuals now look at that information and say, "How do I get more context to understand this better?" And I think it's. I think it's an interesting push-pull dynamic because the amount of information that now can be added to that analytics to provide context around it is fueling a desire for more context. Yeah, it's it's a it's a is that a negative feedback loop or is that a positive feedback loop? I always Let's call it a positive feedback loop. It makes more sense positive. I think it's negative where it makes it worse the more it goes. But yeah, uh, yeah. Either way, I I I. I, 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 I I think you're probably right in a technical sense. I, I just kind of prefer the positive word. No, I agree. All right. So next topic. Uh, this one was your, well, I think I picked this one too. So we've seen a shift in the industry over time. I mean, since I've been, I've been in here 30, I've been in financial services over 30 years uh, and wealth management for, for 17. And we've seen the industry slowly shift from 100% batch processing, overnight files, shipping critical data via FTP, to now to more API connections and streaming data. What's, what are your thoughts on that? Well, one, I think that that's 100% true. It's, it's certainly changed a lot. Um, you know, we, we had some you know, discussion with the panel on, uh, on this topic. And, and I think there was some, um, you know, some, some, some compelling, some description of some compelling challenges that are, that are a result from a desire for higher frequency information and some challenges in getting access to, to a complete set of high frequency information. Yeah, um, the, there's no there's no doubt, there's no question that the market wants more information at a higher frequency. I'm not always convinced that you need to have it at the frequency that the desire exists for. I'm not sure there's enough change sometimes on the uh, you know, sort of between a, a completeness date, mm -hmm. but there's no doubt that people want information at a very high frequency. And the technical landscape is evolving to support that as well. So the ability to do that persists or, or exists, but it makes the debt that exists in old systems that have 
uh, you know, daily or weekly uh, uh, run processes, it makes that debt a bigger burden on the business when you're able to move data or create valuable data at a high frequency, real time or multiple times during the day, and you want to drive decisions or business processes off that, and you're encumbered by information that's necessary to drive the process that still runs on a daily batch or worse yet, a weekly or semi-weekly um, uh, a completeness process. This, um, this question generated a lot of discussion on the panel. This was, I think, it went on for about 15 minutes. Just the panel amongst themselves. I didn't have to say anything because there's so much to talk about. And there were two new words generated that came up in this, this question was, one, you mentioned trustability of data. Mm -hmm. That's a new word for the wealth management industry. And Rich asked the question, when you're looking at your data, you wanna know what's, custom, what's commoditizable? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we should, we should make sure we um, let the folks at Oxford know that we've got a couple of, of uh, new entrants. Words. Uh, another, another part of, of the shifts when we're seeing shifting from uh, static processing to more dynamic and streaming processing was the question on, you know, you still need to have a good data dictionary. You still need to yeah. standardize your data. You know, uh, Rich was asking, what's an account number? Just asking that question can, can give you a multiple answers. Well, you know, Craig, put it in very specifically in the wealth management context, and we, you know, our conversation sort of cut across banking, wealth, and insurance, but very specifically, if I just think about it from a wealth management perspective, we have customers, you know, we have 95 uh, uh, financial service relationships at Extiva, um, and we have some customers where there could be six or seven, six or seven sources that have unique rep codes for the same human in them. So, you know, Rich's point about account numbers is bang on, like an account number, you know, across multiple sources, try to match that up to a client, then to a household. Well, we still wrestle with a fundamental issue related to reps, which is, you know, there's different ways of identifying reps, uh, financial advisors in different source systems and, 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 uh, that, you know, that that's a that's a challenge for how you supervise them. It's a challenge for how you manage them. It's a challenge for how you compensate them. It's a challenge for, um, in, in, you know, it's it's a it's a challenge for how you connect them together into teams of advisors. It, it, you know, it's a solvable problem. Uh, we have a solve for it, Xtiva, but it it's you know it's it's evident of a of um, you know the the challenges that are uh, exacerbated by more and more sources at, um, at play. I'm gonna throw out another stat here. According to a Deloitte survey, 86% of respondents have increased their spending in data and analytics over the past three years. That's a lot. And everyone's, I think everyone sees the value here. Uh, so it's, it's, there's no secret that you need to uh, be able to understand your data, be able to manage your data if you're expected to remain competitive. All right, so yeah. next question. Uh, this is yours, you picked this one out. We asked the panel about householding. What does householding mean to your firm? Why'd you pick that question? I just find householding to be a really interesting case study in some of the challenges of, 
um, trustability to you know to bring that word back to, back uh, to the table. But it's an it's a very interesting um, it's you know it's a specific piece of data. If you ask somebody what a household is, there'll be lots of different perspective on 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 how you would define it, and it would depend on who you're you know speaking to and what their role is. But uh, our customers, your customers might have three, four, five different householdings for different purposes. There might be one for statement consolidation. There might be one for customer relationship management. There might be one for fee billing. There, there might be one for financial planning. There could be a variety of different householdings. And, and, and so that seems like, you know, it seems like a pretty simple piece of data. Well, a household, a household name, a household key, some unique identifier of a household but now you've got four that I've just enumerated. And those households will change over time. Households are created and destroyed. How do you do reliable longitudinal analysis? This is a, it's a single example of the complexity of bringing full perspective, a full data perspective to the table that allows firms to really understand in a reliable data-driven way what their business looks like, what the topography of the business is, and how is it changing? And the solve for that isn't easy. And what we see, some of these things can be solved with grouping, uh, simple grouping, like we're just gonna group this, these uh, accounts or these people, if you're going by social security number, we're gonna group them for billing. We're gonna group them for uh, reporting, but it gets more complicated when you're doing things like models. So if you're saying, well, yeah. I wanna assign this model to a household, well, then a household may have five individuals and they may have 30 accounts. I mean, my family, we have five individuals and we have close to 30 accounts and it's not, uh, we're, we're, far, we're far from wealthy. It's just, you have multiple jobs. You wind up with a bunch of rollover RIAs, uh, IRAs. You've got kid, you know, IRAs, for things for the kids and 529 plans and joint accounts and single accounts and taxable, non-taxable. Uh, so it winds up being very complicated. Uh, so in order to do a household model, if you're applying one model across the household, the software has got to be able to figure out on a, with a rules-based engine where you can store, what the location of certain assets are, where the best place to put them is, what the best, best tax, how to reduce the tax consequences, and how to keep uh, managed drift in the model all at the same time. Absolutely. And how... How do you balance the needs of the enterprise to understand households for the purposes of reasonable operational processes or compliance processes with the needs of the advisor and the advisor team to manage the customer or the, the household, the collection of clients in the household in the way that they have built their service model? There's two very distinct needs that, you know, themselves. That is true. All right. Uh, moving on to the next. I'm trying to keep the everything to five minutes. So five minutes per, per recap question here. All right. I'll keep us in, on, on target. So we're on target. And uh, so next one was a question that I picked. So we asked the panel, uh, what is integration by design and how does it help an enterprise wealth management platform handle new types of data delivery mechanisms, such as streaming data or the other types of delivery of data? And I thought one of the the keys was we, we talk we go back to the sources of truth what's your golden source what's your silver source and in order to do that you need to understand where your data is coming from but more importantly um what integration by design means 
in, from my point of view, uh, I come from a computer science point of view, from a software building, that you need to be flexible in your design because you're assuming that our company is going to buy up another company. We're going to be integrating. We're going to we're going to be merging other systems, and if our software uh, isn't able to uh, integrate with other tools easily and without even knowing what those tools might be or what that data might be, uh, but keeping it flexible, then we're going to have problems down the road when we, let's say we're an order management system and now we yeah. have to integrate uh, a billing system. Well, how do we do that? We don't even understand that data and our system is very closed. That was Todd, I think, at, at Temenos was talking about integration um, mm -hmm. by design. That was a very thoughtful way of articulating um, having the data strategy or the means of accessing and availing data for the purposes of, of whether a back office, middle office or front office purpose, whatever that is, the, the, that the decision and the approach to doing it, to make it deliberate, to basically build it into the, into the strategy of the product or the service, not to it just be a, you know, an adjacency or a must have, because, you know, you just need to, you know, you, you, you have to have it to, to, to FTP some data uh, from point A to point B. No, he, you know, they talk about it in a very deliberate way about how they focus on, on that as part of their product design and customer um, strategy. I think at Extiva, we have a, we have a similar philosophy. It's probably not quite as fully formed as Temenos would need to be about it, but we call it Extiva Connect. And it's a, basically a philosophy that our integration team follows and relies on some technical capabilities to be um, as thoughtful and deliberate as possible about how we uh, onboard data and how we make the utility of data available through the ecosystem as, as, as efficiently as possible. Your point from a few moments ago or a few minutes ago though about a common data dictionary or common understanding of what that data um, uh, looks like is critical to to any of those things being successful. It's all about having a strategy. When, yeah. When I look at it, if you, when you're building software, what's your strategy? Don't just build. Well, we need these. Here's the features we need. Let's just build it. But what's the yeah. strategy? Where are you going with it? Uh, do you expect it to scale? Do you expect it to integrate? Do you expect it to to be robust? Do you expect it to be accurate? You know, these are uh, what we call non-functional requirements that have to be considered. Um, when you're building software, and you mentioned a data maybe, maybe a maybe a shout out to season one, uh, Craig, because we had a lot of talk about uh, data strategy in season one. Yeah, I'll throw a, a quick plug. If you want to, you can go back and, and listen, or uh, rather, uh, watch the video recordings of our previous uh, webinars, season one, as we're calling it, uh, of the data as an asset uh, webinar series uh, on our website, EzraGroupLLC.com. And uh, if you look for uh, the, the webinars, do a search for webinars, you'll find it and you can register for them. You have to register one at a time, but then you'll get a link, a private link that you can then watch them at your leisure. And we also did uh, blog posts. So if you go to our blog and you search for the webinars, uh, Data as an Asset, uh, you'll find uh, some quick summaries of some of the key talking points. So if you like to listen, you like to read about it, you have, we, we support you both ways. A little nighttime reading and a little car driving. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I drive a lot, um, uh, and uh, I listen to podcasts all the time. It's just me too. Um, straight, it's just so you get you get a lot done. And um, although the one thing I find with podcasts, not to get off topic, is it's hard to take notes. Like I want to remember what I listened to, and yeah. but by the time I got there, I'd forgotten half of what yeah. 
you know, so that's, we need some sort of some like an Alexa for or Siri for podcast notes where I can just stop it and say, oh, remember this, remember the last bit, just clip it and pull yeah. it out of the podcast and put it into a note for me. But, you know, a- Apple added this thing in the in the uh, recently where you can like report if there's an accident or report there's a speed trap or whatever. And it's pretty easy. It's like, you know, two taps on the screen and it's done. I want the same thing for podcasts so I can like <laughs> just tag that thing i don't even i don't even need to make the note of what it was i just want to know that these six spots in the 45 minute podcast i want to go back and listen to it easily find it trigger the memory another good idea they were generating a lot of good ideas all right so let's get on uh we, we can do our separate innovation podcast later all right so we just did we just did integration by design we're still on target uh next one is pain points oh we kind of <laughs> talked about this way one of the pain points we we're talking about was how do you know which data, where to get the data from? That's back to the golden yeah. source. We don't need to cover that again, but um, let's talk about data expiration, right? Knowing the timing of the data. And that was an issue when you've got 25 data sources, it's not, it's more, it's not enough to just be able to handle them, incorporate them uh, and store them. You got to know, how do I build a, a view of my client if I've got 25 data sources and they're all coming in at different times of the day, week or month? Absolutely. And, and how long can I rely on a piece of information? And, uh, you know, and, and, and can I rely on that piece of information for the, for that, for that duration at, in, in any context or only in certain contexts? It's the, the, it's no wonder that our, that our customers are adding folks with responsibility for getting value out of data and managing the quality of it in a, you know, a truly front office uh, data as an asset kind of way, because those are, are you know, critical, critical aspects to doing that successfully is being able to have confidence in when data is, um, you know, going to be past its, its best before date. This is part of our data assessment that we do at Ezra Group is, is building a data dictionary. And part of the data dictionary is not only what each field means because a lot of times the people who made the, the system don't live there don't work there anymore uh, if it's a, if it's an in-house system uh and we don't know why we don't no one remembers why we created a certain field or they've reused a field which we call a kludge right they they reused yeah. a field that was just available for something else and the, the the data you see in the field doesn't mean what you think it means yeah or we don't know how long as you mentioned how long is that data good for and that should be another field. This, this data has to be refreshed every week, every month, every year. You know, whatever that data, that whatever that frequency is, that's got to be captured. You probably would encounter in you know when you're doing that and uh, work. Um, you know the the important distinction of you know I use the gold, silver, bronze notion mm-hmm. of of source. There's other you know ways of describing that hierarchy, but the notion of being clear about you know, there's an assumption that gold is better than silver or bronze. It's generally the case, but not always. Sometimes there's an improvement downstream that's valuable for a specific purpose, maybe not generally across all purposes, but you must encounter a lot of uh, need to really crack into the nuance of, of, of gold, silver, bronze sourcing um, and and how it influences the those those trust factors, that best before date factor, the the full context of what that um, particular data element is. 
Yeah, and sometimes it gets some heated discussions. And the reason why we, we do that is because in an emergency or in a crisis, you don't want to have to go figure out, well, what's the backup for this piece of yeah. data? We're not getting it anymore. The, the data feed that was providing it is down. Now what do we do? You don't want to have to decide then, well, pull that data. Well, we don't, you, know, you want to do it when cooler heads will prevail and when you've got time to consider. And that way you, you build it into your data dictionary uh, or your data mart. Here's each source and here's, here's each data field. And here's the sources we're getting it from. And here's the, the, the one, you know, one, two, three, primary, secondary, tertiary, gold and silver, bronze, whatever you uh, want to call them, but define them in advance. So it's easy for the customer support team, the data operations team to know exactly what the backup is, where to get it from, how to provide it, how to deliver it. So the, so the clients don't see anything. That's the goal. Yeah. You, want it, you want it seamless to the clients. They don't know that the data has changed or that, that something's gone down. Yeah, you want to... Um... You want to avoid as much as possible the law of unforeseen consequences raising it, re rearing its head. And 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 well, I don't I don't think this is exactly a black and white rule. I do think that uh, the closer you are to bronze, the more likely that the law of unforeseen consequences is going to pay you a visit. <laughs> uh, it, yes, that is true. Uh, and, and you really can't avoid unforeseen consequences, but you can try to mitigate your risk. Right. Bang on. Okay. So uh, last, we have time for one more. So let's talk about our favorite topic that comes up in a lot of our panels, data lakes. <laughs> it's time for data lakes. It's always a heated discussion. It's always an interesting, it's almost not heated. It's a lively conversation between our it panels, is. no matter when, no matter who it is, no matter what we're, where they come from. When we mention data lakes, everyone's got an opinion. What's your <laughs> It is. I think we've had some. I think we've had our best sound bites when it comes to things related to to data lakes. Um, and and I think I think maybe we're going to spend a little bit of time um, in one of our one of our sessions uh, later this season talking about them, maybe in a little bit more detail. But um, yeah, it. it um, sorry, I lost my sound for a moment. Um, but absolutely, they come up. They're an interesting debate. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uh, difference of opinion about what they're meant to do and and what they what they can solve. But one observation I would share, you know, from our conversations with customers, our our um, you know our webinar series is um, there is an awakening to data lakes not being nirvana. And that, you know, that Todd made some, um, you know, art, some articulate points today about uh, about uh, how to, uh, you know, approaching data lakes, not as not as nirvana, but a piece of the puzzle in your data strategy, not to avoid them, but to see them as a piece of the solution, not uh, not the solution. Absolutely. That, that's something almost every one of our panelists on, on, on any one of our events has talked about is that. Uh, you want to know why you're doing it. Why are you putting this data lake in? What's your reason? But that's similar to almost any piece of technology. You don't want to just throw it in any piece of an enterprise technology, right? It's different than just, well, I want to add an app on my phone. If you're putting, bringing in something like a data lake, you need to know why you're doing it. You want to understand the, the ramifications. You want to know what data it's good to hold and what data it's not good to hold, right? Why you use a data warehouse versus a data mart versus a data lake. I look at them as a I generally try to look at them from a from the perspective of them being a pretty positive indicator of a, of the fact that the market customer you know our customers the market 
your customers are becoming much more focused on on and data as an asset as to their data strategy. And so, you know, lakes seemed like uh, a reasonable way to start to get your to, to, to get your data collected up, to put it somewhere where you knew you were going to be able to do something with it in the future, even if you didn't have the whole strategy sorted out. I, I'm, not, I'm, you know, I, I'm generally, you know, with our panelists that we should, we should be careful not to drown in our lakes, but the, 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 there's a positive there, which is it reflects the importance that the, that this marketplace is putting on getting data uh, into the hands of decision makers that allows them to make good, smart, contextual decisions that improve the velocity of the business. And one thing I want to throw out that you know, data lakes can have errors, can be uh, inconsistent, cannot be structured properly, um, or can it be un- un- not be reliable because they're not you know, built properly. And it's so it's prevalent, you know, and, and I'll, I like to get more into the technical aspects of things. So anybody listening, if you're a CIO, CTO, and you're an Azure client, you'll, you'll know this term. They have a term called a Delta Lake, like Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Delta Lake, which is an open source storage layer that sits on top of multiple data lakes to ensure their reliability. And it works with um, other Microsoft technologies. But what, what's nice about it is we, we've been talking about different ways of delivering data. And, you know, these firms, whether it's Amazon, Google, Microsoft, or any of these other cloud providers, um, realize that different types of data require different technologies to manage. So I know Azure has something called an event hub that's for streaming data to ingest streaming data. They have, um, what's it called? Azure Databricks, which is for batch data ingestion, um, uh, or maybe it's called Azure Data Factory, or I can't remember. And then, then you've got your extracted, transformed data can be loaded into the Delta Lake layer. So it gets it gets really complicated. But it's the 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 point I'm trying to make is a, a data lake isn't the be all end all. You need to realize that it needs to be reliable. You need to be able to use the tools that are available to handle different types of data delivery mechanisms so that your data doesn't corrupted, that it can be managed and support whatever downstream systems you want. A hundred percent. And every one of those cloud providers has, you know, their own version of those, those tools. So, well, you know, as, as long as you're on the cloud journey, you're going to be able to access those tools on a, on a managed service basis and, 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 and make some terrific progress with your data strategy. Yes, you will. And that's, uh, that's the end of our recap, man. We're, we're out of time. You know, this was a great discussion. I think that the webinar, which we recorded earlier today was a fantastic discussion. It cut across wealth management, banking, insurance, and really tied everything together. And I, and I was thinking with our season one, season two of all these, uh, these webinar events that they're like free classes you can take for a mini MBA in data analysis and management, specifically to, to our industry. So go back and listen to them. You'll be able to go to our website, ezragroupllc.com and register for this. Um, the link, the private link isn't available yet. It'll probably take a couple of days for it to get, to get there, but you can register still. And when the private link is posted, you'll get an email with it as well. Um, so thanks for listening. We appreciate your time, everyone. Um, and remember to go to our website, ezragroupllc.com uh, and sign up for our newsletter. It's on the homepage at the bottom. Uh, once a month, you'll get... Uh, an email chock full of wealth management goodness, analysis, news, links, uh, and other information, uh, you will not regret it. 
So thanks for listening. Uh, talk to you all again next time.